Well, good morning, church. Yeah, if you have your Bibles, would you open to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews 10 will be our text for today. If you did not bring a Bible with you, there should be one in the pew rack in front of or behind you, or Bible.com will get you where you need to go today. Uh, as you're making your way there to Hebrews chapter 10, my, my hope as, as we get into these, these final chapters of Hebrews, Hebrews is only 13 chapters long, and, and we are dead in the middle of chapter 10. Um, we, we are left with this, this book, this letter that has been incredibly instructive. It has, has taught us the foundations, the pillars of our faith, why we can have lasting assurance, knowing that uh, any righteousness that we have uh, before God isn't from us, it's, it's from Christ alone. This tells us exactly how that happened through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Well, we, we get that and we can be reminded of that, but then there, there are these moments in our life where we can feel differently than that where we know what we've heard, but we feel something else. And it's the same way. And I don't know about you, but particularly that last song we sang. Like that, that's one of those songs for me. It's, it's, it's anthematic for me that, that we, we declare this truth that Jesus is better than all of these things. And then there's that line that says, make my heart believe. There, there's this, Jesus, I believe this to an extent but Lord, I am trusting you and I'm needing you to help me realize this with every other aspect of my life, right? So, so I, I pray that today as we journey back into God's word and we see the beauty of Christ come off of these, these pages today, I pray that our hearts would rest in who he is and what he's done. I know we've all come in here with junk. We've all come in here with baggage, with past, with mistakes, with shame, with guilt, with worry and fear. But I pray that we understand that Jesus knows all of those things about us and still says, I love you. And so, so today, with, with that in mind, through that lens, I pray that we go through God's word and we are reminded what we, what we know to be true, that Jesus is king and our king loves us. That, that being said, we already read the text in its entirety in, in our pre-service. Uh, and so we want to jump directly into God's word today, starting in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, the author writes, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus now, now here, we're going to stop at halfway through a sentence. I know that may seem strange to you, but there's a lot in this half a sentence that's going to set up everything else we do. In the Bible, whenever you see a therefore, you know, the, the old dad joke is you should always stop and see what it's there for. <laughs> it's not all that funny. Um, but, but whenever we see therefore in the New Testament, it signals a change. That something, that something, the idea, the purpose behind all the statements that were before that therefore is coming to an end, and now the writer transitions to something different, but it's with all the things we talked about in view, okay? So if you've been here, if you've been through this sermon series, or even if you haven't, let me catch you up. We've spent about the last six sermons, the last six weeks, talking through the very specific subject matter of the sacrifice of Christ has allowed us freedom to come to God. Okay, so we've heard that about six different ways, and at some point we feel like, okay, what's next? Where are we going next? And, and we even talked about it last week where we feel sometimes, well, you know, I feel like I've already heard this. I feel like we've read this, this before, but we must remember whatever God has for us, we need it, whether we think we, we, we don't need it or not. So, so we get here today in the more applicatory part of the text, okay? So therefore, next word, brothers. Now here's a question for you. Whenever we read in the New Testament the word brothers, does that mean just males? No. 
It's, it's brothers and sisters in the faith. Now, it, it was a male-dominated society, and so this, this word here that's, that's pointing to gender, but it's, it's speaking more to the household of faith. Those who have trusted their life to Jesus Christ, all of this is talking to you, okay? So we need to understand that. So ladies, if you're reading this and you say, well, that doesn't pertain to me, it's only speaking to the brothers, that's not the case here. It's speaking to all of those in the household of faith. But this also is important for us to hear, Okay? We need to understand because not everybody has been atoned for. What what, what do you mean by that, Josh? Here's what I mean. I think sometimes if if I personally, if I'm not careful when I preach, I'll start to make blanket statements like, we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We are loved by God. God knows us completely and still chooses to love us. What I hopefully you understand, but if you don't, please hear me clearly. I am speaking to the, those who are in the household of faith, those who are born again. Because we, we although I, I like the idea of it, it's just not in the Bible. We, salvation isn't universal. What I mean by that is Jesus and his work on the cross didn't absolve everybody from their sins, only those who have put their hope and trust in him for salvation, okay? So those, what this means is, those who have not put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, their sins are not atoned for. And when we talk about the hope and the beauty of the gospel and what that means for those who've trusted in him, if you're not in the household of faith, if you've not put your hope and your trust in him, that does not pertain to you. So why is that important this morning? Because when the writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, or therefore, brothers, we have to understand he is speaking directly to Christians, not to unbelievers. And so you can read this through that lens and say, Christians, you get all the benefit of what we're about to say, and non-Christian you don't. And I think, I think you need to hear that because sometimes we can just come into church and we feel good about ourselves if we've not trusted in Jesus Christ. And you hear a preacher boy say, oh, well, God loves you. God knows everything about you. Yeah, yeah, that's right. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. But if you've not, you're not. And so my, my goal, my ambition for you today would be for you to put your hope and your trust in Christ alone for salvation. But please know that as we move forward with this text, it is speaking directly to those who have repented of their sin and they've put their hope and their trust in Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, what, what, what does that mean now that we're in the household of faith? What, what do we gain from that? Look at the very next part of the line. We have confidence to enter the holy places. Guys, this is a groundbreaking statement, okay? So, so the idea behind this is, and we've talked about the last couple of weeks, when, when Christ was on the cross and he said, it is finished. Do you remember what happened with the veil that was inside the temple? Do you guys remember that? What happened? Torn top, 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 top to bottom. Giving us this idea that we can now come boldly into the, the presence of God. So, so that's a good day for us. For us in 21st century, that's exciting. Every time we open God's word, we can be in his presence. Every time that, that we, we are a part of gospel songs and we're singing them or we're listening to them and our heart is stirred, we can literally rest in the presence of God. That's a good day. But can you imagine the first people to do that after the veil was torn? Can you imagine the people who saw the veil being torn anyway? And so what they've known before, everything that they've seen, everything that they understood is one day a year, the high priest gets to go behind the veil. If that high priest doesn't do it in the right way, what happens? He dies. What if somebody goes rogue and says, I'm going to go see God and they throw back the curtain? They die. 
Not because God is mean, but because God is holy. Can you imagine those who are watching the temple, all of a sudden Christ breathes his last breath on the cross, and those who are in the temple just see it go, uh-oh, we're in trouble. The, the fear is there. The fear is real. I can imagine those who are very, very near to that temple moment just trying to figure out, what do we do from here? Well, the author's saying, here's what you do. Because of what Christ has done, Come. Come, come near, come boldly, come, come enjoy the presence of God. And imagine there was a great fear and great uncertainty, and, and here, here's kind of why we would have the fear and uncertainty. So, so going back to our theology, making sure we're sound here. God's not mean. He wasn't just killing people to kill people. Why? Why would the people die if they were in the presence of God, not in the right way? Sin, that's right. So, so their sin separated them from the presence of God. So, so it goes back to the garden, right? So Adam and Eve, that, that story, that account, that, that sin separates us from the presence of God. And so through, through the sacrificial system, we're trying to cover up our sin so we can be back in some sort of relationship with God. Well, Jesus didn't just cover our sin. He did away with our sin, which allowed the relationship to be restored. But here's the fear. I caused the separation. What if I do it again? How many times have we struggled through that in our life? Where we know God loves us and we know that God has forgiven us and we know that God has good for us and we feel great in a moment, but then later on we mess up again. And so what we'll say is, I know what got me in this place to begin with. What if I do it again and yet here I am? That fear and that struggle is always going to be there. And we wonder, well, guys, if, if I've messed up now, I know that I'm going to mess up again. And so what's, what's the point? The author here is going to give us some hope with this statement, okay? So I want, to, I want to read it for you again. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, by what? By the blood of Jesus. Now, that's a very important statement for us because of the blood of Jesus. We should pay careful attention and remember this. Why do we have confidence to enter into the holy places? Because of Christ and Christ alone. We must not become arrogant and allow ourselves to think that we have somehow earned this opportunity to come. Because what's going to happen when you believe you've earned the right to be in good relationship with God is you will start making demands of God. And maybe, maybe you, don't, you don't say, well, I would never demand that of God. But have you ever walked into the presence of God and started demanding things through your prayers? Well, God, I, I just believe this. I want this. I need this. Sometimes, guys, we church it up. Sometimes we use emphatically in Jesus' name as if somehow that's going, that incantation is going to cause God to have to give us what we've asked for. I'm demanding healing. I'm demanding favor. I'm demanding money. I'm demanding this. You don't demand anything. God graciously gives all things. And we've got to remember that. We've got to remember it's by God's grace alone that we get to do anything. Guys, I, I told the first service, I don't, I don't want this just to be like a storyline that continues through the three services, but I just, I want you to know, I don't, I don't feel worthy to be your pastor. And I know that's, that's not just preacher. Like, like, I was debating just during our service, in the music part of the service, the first service, I was trying to figure out who else could preach today. Because I don't feel worthy. And I could list, list five, ten, re I don't, I'm not worthy to stand here and preach to you. 
We're not worthy to stand here and worship with each other. We're not worthy to come boldly to the throne of grace with confidence. Christ is worthy. And guys, that's the whole point. I don't stand here as a man who's got my life together. I stand here as a man who's been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And that's, that's my hope that you know that too, that in your life, no matter what you've done, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what past you have, you can be redeemed. You need to hear that. You need to hear it over and over and over because the enemy wants to make you think you can't and you won't. But God said he will. Whoever would come may come. You put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ and everything changes. We've not, we've not earned this, but Christ has earned this with his work on the cross. Christ alone should get glory and honor. Christ alone is the reason of our redemption. Look at verse 20. By this new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So the verse gives an overview of how Christ made this way for us. It's a, it's a new and living way. Yes, the bloodshed. Bloodshed in the, in the scriptures is always indicative of death. So there had to be death to allow an atonement for sin. But why is this the new and the living way? Well, Jesus, here guys, is not dead anymore. He's new. He's alive. We we have entrance through that because our high priest is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's why we get to come. It's the new and the living way. Through the curtain. Now, this kind of gets strange a little bit. Don't, Don't get lost in the verbiage. But as his body was torn, the curtain was torn. Meaning that he took... He took on what separated us originally. And it satisfied the wrath of God. So they didn't scurry to go get the pieces of the curtain and sew them back together and hang it back up and say, you can't come. No, God said come. Because of what Christ has done on the cross, come. His obedience on the cross made a way for us to be fully restored to the Father. Listen to me. Fully restored to the Father. I think we need to be reminded of today is not a, a day of like new insight. Today is a day of reminding ourselves of the old truths that are going to get us through, that are going to allow us to cling joyfully to the cross. Why is it important for us to realize that he fully restored us? Because I think for some of us in this room, myself included from time to time, I feel like God has, again, he's forgiven most of it. God's forgiven the big stuff. God's forgiven some of the small. But, but you know, some of that stuff, I still need to, I need to do better and I need to try harder. Hear me. I do think we need to fight sin. I do think we need to, to fight for holiness in our life. But you're not fighting to gain God's affection. You're fighting because you have God's affection. You're fighting knowing that he loves you and that's the strength that you fight in. So when we hear this, his obedience on the cross made a way for us to be fully restored to the Father. We don't have to meet God any percentage more. It's not like 90-10. It's not 99-1. It's 100%. Just because we need to be reminded, how long should we expect this new and living way to be remained open for us to go to the Father? Forever, okay? Why? How how do we know? Verse 21 gives us the understanding here. And since we have a great priest, great high priest, over the house of God, we have a great priest that is interceding for us. We know our atonement, our access to the Father will be everlasting because of Jesus. He's our priest, our great high priest, and he's over the house of God. This This is the beauty of it. Jesus is the one who is going to say, in the end, you're in or you're out, okay? 
So for some, that's terrifying. For some, that's, that's calming. Why is it calming? It's calming for me in this sense. The one who's going to finally say, yes, you're in or no, you're out, knows everything there is to know about me. He knows everything there is to know about me. The stuff I don't want to tell my closest friends, the stuff I don't even want to bring back up in my mind because I hate it so much. He knows all of those things about me. And you know what he says about me? I love you. I know all of those things and I still love you. And so when I think about eternity and I think about the end of days, when I think about when I'm going to breathe my last breath and meet God face to face, there is no fear wondering what he's going to say because he knows everything there is to know about me and he's still chosen to love me. I don't know why, but I'm thankful he did. And so here he is our priest and he reigns forever over the house of God. So, so now what? Now, now where do we go from here? This is the good stuff. Are you ready for it? You thought that was good. This is good. Look at verse 22. Let us draw near because of what we've read, because of what Christ has done, because he's our, our high priest over the household of God. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. All right, so taking this uh, verse line by line, okay, let us draw near. Um, sometimes we read this, and I think we can get kind of, um, we get stagnant in our reading, because you'll read it and be like, let us draw near to the house of God. Almost like it is some, some kind of distractor beam that is going to naturally, the, 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 the imagery here, what the writer is insinuating for us, is to run as fast as we can into the presence of God. This flies into the face of everything that was Old Testament. Why? Because typically they never ran anywhere. It was just, you know, they, they didn't do that. They didn't run. It was kind of disrespectful to run. So, so here, what he's saying, God has allowed access for you. Get there as fast as you can. That's what he says. Let us draw near with a true heart. What's that mean? In salvation, God has given us a new or a true heart. It's one that loves him. This is why born-again people desire God and the things of God. And this is also the reason that the lost don't. Have you noticed that with your friends and family? That if you're a born-again person, if, you, if, if God has, has brought you from death to life, your desire now is to love the things that he loves. Your passion is to, to be passionate about the things that he's passionate about. And then there are people around you who don't value the same things. You say, well, what's the difference? Or maybe, maybe it just struggles in your mind this way. Why can't they just understand? Because their heart's not new. We've got to understand, this is a supernatural thing. Lost people don't just go out and say, I want to love God today. To love God is to be motivated by God and empowered by God to worship him. Dead people can't do anything, right? So if you are not in Christ, you're dead. And if you're dead, then you can't serve him. It takes the power of God in you to serve him. So we draw near to him with a true heart in his power. Look, third part, in full assurance of faith. We have this confidence that when we come to God, he fully knows us and fully loves us. So guys, what fear do we have? So I, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Right, So typically the line, if we're teaching through a Bible study, we'll say, who wrote Hebrews? And, and the line is typically, God only knows who wrote Hebrews. We, we don't know. Many people can speculate. Uh, a lot of people believe that it was the Apostle Paul. Um, we're not here today to, to figure out the authorship of Hebrews. Um, but Paul does give a pretty big case in Romans chapter 8. And he'll get to the end of that chapter, and he'll start talking about, 
What can separate you from the love of God? Height? Depth? Angels or demons? Is, 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 and then he gives this question. Is there anything that can separate you from the love of God? What's the answer? No. Same, same, same idea here. It's building this case that if God is our high priest and he knows he's sovereign, he knows everything there is to know about us. So if that's true, if he knows us and loves us, then what is there left to fear? There is no fear for us. Practically, how does that work out in our lives? Think, think with me, okay? On our good days, we say, praise God. On the days that people are healthy or the days that God gives earthly healing, we say, praise God, God is good. On the days that you lost your car keys and God, by his grace, says, oh, there they are, praise God. But do we understand that even in the hard things in our life, we are to praise God too? When they don't get healed this side of eternity. When we do lose our jobs. When our relationships dissolve, when life turns upside down, that God is still good. And just because you walk through a hard season, just because you walk through hardship, doesn't mean that God hates you. It's God's loving you through the hard season. It's when you're growing the most. Because we have full assurance of our faith. And just in case we start to wonder, well, what, what about this thing? And what about that thing? Can God still love me? On the cross, Jesus took care of the what about this thing and what about that thing. Look what it says. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure, pure water, everything about our lives have been taken care of by God. Here's the trouble with this great news, though. We will hear this idea in a sermon, Bible study, in a song, Maybe on a Sunday morning you come and you're jazzed up because all that God's doing in your life and you think, man, I love God. Nothing can separate me from his love. I'm ready to go. And then we, we sing the benediction and you all leave and everybody's excited and they get in the car and then life happens. And then you go to the restaurant and you have to wait. You go to Walmart and I don't know why you go, but you go. And you go to work on Monday and then life's hard on Tuesday and then it just unfolds from there. And so we lose the, the attention that, that we were called to on a Sunday morning, that God is sovereign, God, God knows us and loves us, and, and, and we are safe in his hand. But then life starts to, to tear away at those securities that are in place. We leave the intimacy of that moment, we walk out of church, we close our Bible, the song ends, we, we too easily forget. We, we begin to believe what the world is telling us. We begin to believe what our still being sanctified minds and hearts want to tell us, that we're not enough. No, I know that God forgives, but man, do you really remember what you did, God? So how do we combat that? Look at verse 23. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The word hold fast here is this imagery of holding tightly. Um, any, any thrill seekers, anybody like riding a roller coaster? Jared is riding one currently. Jared and Hannah are riding a roller coaster. Great. All the rest of us just want to hang out here, right? So, so when we, look, I love riding a roller coaster, but there's this moment, like when I'm in the line, I'm excited because usually it's either with Katie or Gideon. I got to talk them up to get excited about it with me. And then I get there and then there's this thought that crosses my mind. 
I'm 250 pounds. I don't think I'm supposed to be doing loopy loops right here through this metal space, right? So I'm worried that something's going to happen. So no matter how cool I'm trying to play it, trying to be big and brave for my bride or to be strong for my son, that when that, that ride starts to tick, 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 and you start going up that thing, my hands start to white knuckle the, 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 the things. And if we're flying on those crazy ones that don't have the handrails, but it's the thing that comes over you, look, I'm bear hugging that thing. <laughs> I'm holding as tight as I can. As if some, I'm holding tight because I believe that my holding tight is going to bring me some benefit. Look at 250 pounds flinging 80 miles an hour. Ain't no hope for me, guys. Look, we just, we hoping they were good in school in their engineering class. That's the picture, though. As your life depended on it, hold to it. Hold tight. Don't let go. No matter what, no, no matter what is outside, no matter what they say, no matter what you experience, hold tight to this. Well, it's got to be something important that we're holding tightly to. What is it that we are to hold tight to? Hold tightly or hold fast to the confession of our hope. So, so what is the confession? What is this thing that's so important to the believer? So, so we could, if we went through Hebrews, we could write out kind of like this, this declaration of what we believe, but it's simplified at, at a, I think its most basic level is this. Jesus saves. That's our confession. Now, there's, there's a lot in just those two words, but Jesus saves. Jesus is the one, the one bringing the action, the one completing the action. What's he do? He saves start to finish, okay? So just those two words are big in the implications of it, but we have to understand this. It's not us doing the saving, it's Christ. And in his saving, we are complete. Why is it important for us to hold fast to that? Don't let go of that. Because we understand sovereignly God's got us. But when we hold fast to that confession, it will fight against us believing we save. We redeem, we restore, we are the reason that we can come to God. No, Jesus is the reason. And so today, when I'm struggling to get up here and to preach before you, I am reciting to myself, no lie, those two words, Jesus saves, Je Josh, Jesus saves, Josh, remember, Jesus saves, because guys, he is the only thing that is good in us. He saves, and we cling to that, and we hold to that without wavering. Don't let go. Don't ever let it go. Don't let it go. Look, look here's, here's the worst, because I'm telling you from my own life experience, in the hard seasons of life, we can all pretty much agree. We're going to cling to Jesus saves or the truth of the gospel, but it's in the moments that we find life to be easier. It's not hard at the moment. Nobody's sick. There's nothing pressing that we'll start to take that and we'll let go. And that's when we find ourselves getting the most trouble. I know I do. And so... The author says, don't just hold fast in times of trouble. He says, hold fast to this confession of our, of our hope without wavering. Why? For he who promised is what? He's faithful. Jesus saves and he will always save. Jesus saves and he completely saves. Don't waver from this incredible truth because he who promised it is faithful. The truth is, is great for the individual, but guys, it's not just for the individual believer. It's for the church. So what's this mean for us? Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stir one another up and to love and to do good works. So the verbs here at the end, the action, what's the church supposed to do? To do good works and to love one another. All right, let's, let's talk through this. All right, let us consider how to stir one another up. All right, 
our days should be spent looking for ways to encourage and to motivate one another, to love and to do good works. We should be motivating each other to action every day. This is the work of the church. The church wasn't created for believers to come and stop, but to go and do. Do you get that? The church was, by God, not us, not, this isn't the man-made church that we're talking. This isn't New Palestine, these walls. That's not, this, that's small C. We're talking big C here. The church that God instituted for us and his glory was motivated for us not to come and stop, but to go and do. What are we going to go do? We're going to stir each other to love and to do good works. Now, don't, don't miss here what I'm saying. Is, is this moment important? Yeah, Absolutely. This time of corporate worship is extremely important. There's great value in pausing in our week to refocus our mind's attention and our heart's affection. What the author is talking about here is, is the big C church, the body of believers gathered here and around the world. So, so what does that mean for us on days like today? Look at verse 25. Don't neglect to meet together as some have become the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Because we should take every opportunity that we have, every opportunity that's offered to meet together to stir one another up. Take a moment there. I don't mean every time the doors are open to the church, you need to be here. Okay? So let me, let me give you kind of the, the in-between too, okay? In the scriptures, you're not going to find a Sunday schedule and a Wednesday night schedule. Right? So if you grew up in a church and say, uh-uh, Sunday morning you're in church, Sunday night you're in church, Wednesday night in church, because that's in the Bible. No, it's not. Actually, it's a Saturday, but that's for another day. That's Easter sermon. So, so the fact that we meet together on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night, listen to me, those are important times. We believe that, that we are starting our work week in the family of God, and midweek we need a refresher, so that's why we've scheduled things on Wednesday night. That's the reason we've scheduled it that way, but that's not necessarily what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is the church being the church when you leave those doors. So, so here's some challenging questions for us. If this is the only time, if this is the only hour that you are devotedly thinking about God, you are missing out on your walk with God. If this is the only time that you are opening your Bible throughout the week, guys, you are missing out on the, the relationship with Christ. And if this is the only time that you see other believers and you look at them and say, brother and sister, how are you? It is great to be in the house. If this is the only time you fellowship with each other, you are missing out on the God's design for the church. I promise you, you, this isn't speaking to anybody directly, but I know it's true. If this is the only time you're doing church, you are disenfranchised with the church. You're just here. Can't believe I'm here. I got another hour. Come on, preacher, hurry up. So we're at the 930. We can get to the restaurant and then back watch the Saints play. Right? So, I mean, we, if you're not invested in this thing, this hour doesn't matter to you. I hate that for you. I hate, I'm glad you're here. I pray that, that you hear something that sticks. I pray that the, the Spirit of God awakens your heart. But guys, if you are not being the church out there, it's hard for you to find value of the church in here. And so my challenge for you isn't to try harder today or try harder on a Sunday morning. My challenge for you is to actually do what we're called to do out there. Because I promise you, if you live your life in this manner, 
Wake up in the morning and say, God, who am I going to stir up today? Who am I going to encourage today? Who am I going to build up today for your glory and the good of the kingdom? Who am I going to do that with today? And you spend your every day, your other six days, if you spend that time doing that, I promise you, your your thoughts about Sunday morning completely change. Because what's going to happen is this is going to be the celebration time of what God's done. Many of you, you're not celebrating God because you ain't seen him do nothing. We are anemic in our faith, and we'll say, man, we're just going to church because mom and dad are making me go because grandma, she ain't going to let me eat unless I go to church. Y'all want that chicken, and that's why you're here. I get it. But guys, we, we need to fight for holiness in our lives, fight for obedience in our life. And guys, it doesn't start on Sunday morning for an hour. It starts when we walk out of those doors right there. Don't neglect the gathering together as some have out there. Because if you neglect it out there, you won't value it in here. I pray that you value what God is doing, not just for one hour a week or two hours a week or three hours a week, but you value it above all things at all times because you know it's what God, that's what God has created you to do. Guys, we need each other. We need to love and be loved by each other. We need to serve and be served by each other. What happens if we don't do this? What happens if we don't value? What happens if we neglect the meeting together and the encouraging of one another? Next week, we're going to have a whole sermon on that. It's going to be great. It's going to be encouraging. Don't worry. It's going to be good. But if you want a highlight of it, look at the very next verse. It's not, we're not preaching on it today, but look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of truth, there is no longer remaining sacrifice for our sins. You need to understand that in context. Don't, don't dare take that thing out and say, well, that's, that's the theology. But it's, remember, it's in line with this thought process. If you don't be the church out there, you're going to get in a bad way in here. If you don't love people out here, in here is going to be messed up. You're going to start living a life that you think is okay, and it's not. You're going to think that, that sometimes truth is a lie and a lie is truth. You need brothers and sisters in your life to hold you accountable to that. You need the church to be the church. If you don't, guys, we're in a hard spot. So what do we do from here? Be involved. Be accountable. Be honest with each other. How, how long? How long should we do this? We should be doing it and longing for this more and more as we see the day drawing near. Notice in your Bible, look at the word day. See anything special about that word? It's capitalized, isn't it? It's because it's a specific day. It's the day that Christ has, on his sovereign calendar, is going to come back. We don't know when that day is, but we know it's soon. Whether that soon is this afternoon or a thousand years from now, we don't know. But guys, God's told us to be ready. So... Let's be ready. God's told us to go out and stir one another up. So let's go stir one another up to do love and to do good work.